Um, before we get started, uh, uh, this is the single sign-on session, uh, about eight of us single sign-on. Uh, how many people here are doing Federation today? Okay. Um, how many are using that? Are you doing that with IM Federation? Okay, some. How about you're doing Federation out to your applications then, maybe? A lot of you? Okay, all right, great. Hard to see through all these lights. All right, how many are here just for the hydration game? <laughs> might, need that, might need that after last night. Okay, uh, my name is Ron Cully. I am the principal product manager uh, in identity for uh, SSO and also for, I've done some work, a lot of work in Active Directory as well. And what we're going to be talking today is managing user permissions with AWS SSO. Um, you know, today we're in this world of zero trust. And zero trust meaning that, you know, we no longer can build firewalls and, you know, kind of isolate our, our networks and say everything on the inside is safe. We have to be able to check everything regardless of where it's coming from. And authentication and identity are really central to that because you've got to make sure you know who you're talking to and which machines they're on and all of that. Now, one of the things you may have heard is identity is the new control plane. Uh, I hear that a lot. Um, I would say not exactly. Identity is a really important part, but it isn't actually the control plane. If you take a look, you know, Andy Jassy said this, if you want to go to multi-cloud, what you have to do is standardize on the lowest common denominator, and these platforms are nowhere near the same. And that is absolutely true. The way that you manage access to resources in AWS is different than Azure, which is different than Google, which is different than Oracle. And you want to make sure that you can express the full fine-grained nature of access in that environment. Now, if you take a look at the NIST model, zero-trust architecture, what they do is they've drawn this architecture, and it has a lot of inputs. The control plane is there in the middle, and it's about a policy engine, and you have a policy administrator, and then there's a policy enforcement endpoint. Uh, and the inputs to that include uh, what they call ID management. Um, I guess they need to do a spell check on that. But uh, anyway, it shows that identity is an important input to this. It's not actually the control plane itself. It's one of the inputs. And it's a very, very important input. And when AWS looks at this, what we look at is um, this whole issue of zero trust and, and making sure you, you, you can do things is about who has access to what. And the who here is identity, the has access is just access management, and to what is about resource management. So those are kind of the three pillars that we work from at AWS. So identity is about your names, your credentials, your metadata, the, about the users. The access is about policies, governance, and compliance. And resource is about isolating things, grouping things, tagging things, and sharing things. And together, these provide the, the foundations for your zero trust architecture. Now, if we take a look at this a little bit further, the identity piece, we have standards that exist that help us with identity. And those are things like SAML and OIDC. And then when you get into access management, the access and the resource management need to come together in an environment-specific way so that you can get the full richness of that environment. So if we take a look at it in a little bit different picture, what we can see is identity comes in, 
there's metadata about the resources that come into the central policy point. You've got a policy administrator that pushes in policy information. This engine chews on it, and it can spit out uh, permission to access something or not. It might be something simple, like access to an application, or it might be something more complex, like fine-grained access control to a resource in your organization. Where AWS single sign-on fits in is kind of in this area between identity and policy. So what we're doing is we're allowing you to use identities, bring in identities, combine them with some policy that's related to AWS in a native AWS uh, syntax, and bring that into the standard IAM policy engines for granting access. So today what we're going to be talking about is going to be AWS identity access and resource management evolution. We want to show kind of how we progress, because we're really hitting with this uh, recent release we did last week. We're at kind of a next generation of, of IMN access management. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the SSO access management model. I'm going to spend quite a while in a demo today. I want to show you how this all fits together end to end. And then we'll kind of recap a little bit with some use cases that you might want to think about uh, implementing with AWS SSO. Uh, we're going to show options for what you can do, what, what identities can you use with SSO, and what the topologies for that look like. And then we'll get into a little bit about best practices. All right, so let's talk about the AWS identity uh, evolution. Um, if you go back to the, you know, the origins of AWS, we had to have a way of getting people to sign in and use resources. And so we created IAM, um, Identity and Access Management. And the identity portion of this, the administrator had a task to create user identities in each AWS account. They also had to create the groups and manage the group membership. They created roles. They attached policy to the roles. They assigned the roles to groups and users. And that's how you got everything in. From an end user perspective, what it looked like is that I would sign in. I'd have to sign into the right account. I had to use the credentials that I have in that particular account. I might be R. Cully in one account, and they messed up and called me Ron C. in another account. And I've got to remember which name I use in which account. I have to manage my passwords in each one of those accounts. And then when I get in there, then I have to assume the desired role. So that was the way that IAM uh, worked. And it worked really well for a number of years. And then as people started to scale up and start to use cloud more and more, they got more and more accounts. And this got more and more complex. And people asked for a better way to do that. And so what we did is we worked on ways of, of uh, creating trust using federation. And so we allowed you to federate into each one of your accounts with an IDP of your source, of your choice, whether that's Octoping, Google, you know, whatever that would be, you would cre create a trust with each account. And then the administrator still needed to create the roles in each account, attach the policies, and make the assignments. And they also had to do stuff with getting a manifest out of their identity provider and making sure that the users could match up. There's a lot of work involved in that. From an end user standpoint, life got a little bit easier because they could go and they could sign in to one place that they were familiar to sign in with. Uh, I happen to be showing an Azure AD screen here. In this case, it might be Google or it could be Okta or Ping. Um, and once I, once I signed into there, then I got a SAML assertion which sent metadata about me into the AWS uh, console where I could then identify that this particular user has these permissions in these accounts and these roles. And I could choose which role and account I wanted. So for the end user, it got easier, but there was still a lot of work here for the administrators. 
So what we've done is uh, we've listened to customers. We've heard a, a couple of key things from different types of customers. Our largest customers are saying, hey, you know, we, we love the ability to use our identities of choice, whether we're using Microsoft Active Directory or Google or Azure AD or uh, Okta or Ping or whatever that is. Um, we we want to be able to use those. But we also want to make it easier to manage access at scale because it's, you know, we still have to manage all these things in all these different places. Some of our smaller companies and startups, they, they may come to us and say, you know what, we don't have an identity. We don't care about that. We want you to give us something that we can use. And we want to be able to use that everywhere across AWS. And we also want to make sure that we can use it with other accounts or, uh, that we have in SaaS applications. They might be using Jira or something like that, maybe using Box. And they want to be able to use that identity outside. And they also want simplified multi-account access because they don't want to spend a lot of time managing access. They want to be able to uh, build the products that they need to get to market with. So Amazon did a couple of things. First thing we did is a few years ago, we created the AWS organizations model. And it took this idea of this big list of accounts and allowed you to create a structure and organization around that by grouping accounts into organizational units and then being able to apply governance policies that can flow down through that organization to control, to, to set up uh, guardrails for what you can access and what you can't access within the environment. And so this provided you this hierarchy of government, government's uh, policies and being able to also uh, provide a, a framework for cross-account sharing uh, between, of resources. In addition to that, back in, it was really, really late 2017. For practical purposes, it was January of 2018. We released Amazon single sign-on uh, first release. And what that was about was allowing you to choose whether you wanted to use Active Directory or use SSO as a place where you manage your identities, be able to create role-oriented permission sets, or you know, maybe you do them on project boundaries or whatever, but think of them as roles that don't exist yet. They're, they're definitions of roles, but they don't exist yet. And then you can assign those roles to the users and once you've assigned them in, a, in an account, then those users or those groups have access to those roles, and AWS SSO created all the role structure for you. So instead of going through all of that process of creating them manually, you can just have a common set of roles that apply across um, multiple accounts, and then you assign the right users in the right accounts to those roles. In addition to that, we added the ability to connect external applications, SaaS applications like Salesforce or Box or Jira or, or whatever you know, SaaS application you might want to use. And so we released that uh, out to, the, to people. Now, last week what we did is we took another step. And what we want to do is we want to make it possible for you to use whatever identity you want to use and bring that in to AWS. You shouldn't, it shouldn't matter to you, it shouldn't matter to AWS what identity you want to use. We have standards that handle that. We want to know who you are. We've got to have a good, strong way of authenticating you. And whether you're using Azure or somebody else, you should be able to do that. What we want to do is make the access management easy for you and uh, give you the ability to control access to both AWS and applications. So what I'm going to do now is I'm going to switch over and I'm going to show you a, a demo of how you can use AWS SSO with Azure AD users. All right, so first what I'm gonna do, I'm gonna switch to my other screen. Um, 
the way I'm going to approach this is I'm going to start from the end user perspective and show you the end user experience. From there, I'm going to start working backwards to show you how did that end user experience happen in the, SSO, in the AWS SSO side of the world, and then how did that happen back in the Azure side. And so we'll kind of see this end-to-end -end picture starting from the end user working backwards. So right now, I'm just sitting at a, a general page on SSO. If you ever want to go learn more about it, just go to uh, awsamazon.com single-sign-on, and that's where you can learn more about the product. Uh, what I'm going to do is I have, uh, my administrator has given me access to a, the AWS SSO user portal. And so I'm going to click on the user portal right now, and you're going to notice the screen's kind of spinning at the top, and it says redirecting, and boom, a Microsoft Azure AD uh, sign-in page has popped up here. So I'm going to sign in here. And I will not stay signed in. And then um, what it does is it routes me back, and I've just landed on the AWS SSO user portal. And in that user portal, I have this box for my accounts. And when I open it up, I can see that there are three accounts in which I have access to roles. And when I open up uh, the first one, which is the test uh, account, I can see that I have billing and power user access, and I can go to the console from there. If I go to the dev, environment, I have administrator access, billing, and power user access. Now, in this hypothetical uh, company, uh, um, Jenny Jenkins happens to be a, a, a person who manages development, and I, we wanted to have Jenny have full access in the dev and the test environments, uh, but not in the more of the production types of environments. So in the dev environment, uh, Jenny has full administrator access in and uh, in the other accounts that she has a little less access. Like she only has, I believe, power user in the production environment. So that way I could have developers be free to do whatever they need to do in one account. And then as I start moving my software into more production environments, I can start trimming back those accesses. So that's the way the end user experience happens. Now, I could have easily have done this from, now this is called uh, SP initiated, because in this case, AWS SSO is acting as a service provider. Now, it's actually both a service provider and an identity provider in this case. Azure sees us as a service provider. The rest of the world sees us as an identity provider. And so I could have done this either as SP-initiated, which I just showed you, or I could have also done this uh, a different way by um, going in and doing it from the Azure portal. So in this case, I am signed in to the myapps.microsoft.com, and I see this tile here that says AWS single sign-on. So what we have done is we've created an enterprise application in Azure AD that's called AWS single sign-on. I granted Jenny access to that, and so it shows up on the Azure user portal. And if I click on that, it takes me over and drops me into the same place that I did if I went to the AWS SSO endpoint first. So you can go from either direction. All right, so now let's take a look and see what happens in the back end side from the administrator's point of view. Now in this case, what you can do is you can see that I'm, I have a users tab open here. And inside this users tab, I can see that I've got a number of users. And there's uh, Jan Perkins. And that's who I had been using earlier. I guess I said Jenny Jenkins, but it was actually Jan Perkins. I guess I get, better get my name straight here. Um, so these are users that were synchronized in from Azure AD. I didn't create these inside of SSO. They just showed up here. 
In addition to that, there are a set of groups. There are five groups here, administrators, billing, database, admins, developers, and power users. Those are all groups that came in from Azure AD. I didn't create them in SSO. And if I open up the billing uh, user as an example, I can see that Aaron Banks, Carol Major, Devin Nichols, and Pat Davis are all part of the billing group. So I didn't have to do anything other than set up the SAML configuration and the skim, what's called the skim configuration, I'll be getting that in a minute, and then Azure AD synchronized the users into SSO. What I did on the SSO side is that I created a set of things called permission sets. And what permission sets are is, like I said earlier, they're, they're more of a permission, or I mean a, a role definition. So if I wanted to create a permission set, there's uh, some standard ones that I can choose from. It's populating them here. If I took a look at like the administrator access role that, that is uh, pre-created, I could create that set and it gave me an error because I've already done that. But uh, when you create a permission set, you can give it a name, you can give it a description, you can tell what the session duration is for that role, and then you can drop in and uh, set what the relay state is, so when I assume this role, what URL should I go to for that role, and then I can attach managed policies or create a custom permission policy inside of it. And those are just standard IAM uh, permissions. Once I've got those permission sets defined, then I can go into uh, this AWS accounts, go into the organizations tab, and I can see the different accounts that I have in my organization. In this case, I have prod, dev, test, and my, my uh, master account of my organization. So if I wanted to assign access to a particular permission to a particular person in one account, I would just say, go to prod, um, I'm sorry, uh, yeah, select prod, assign users, and I could pick one user and assign permissions, select the role that I want to give them, and say finish. And that now creates, that per, gives that per person those permissions in that one account. Now if I wanted to do multi-account management at one time, I could select multiple accounts, and if I didn't want to do end-user oriented permissions, I could go into groups, and I could grab a group, and say next, and I could give them access to multiple things. And that would give all those groups access in all of those accounts with all of the roles that I selected. So you can see this makes it a little bit easier to set up and manage a number of users and a number of groups with a number of policies and a number of accounts. So that's what the whole purpose of AWS SSO started out as. Now, in addition to that, I have the ability to assign applications. And within AWS SSO, we've got a set of predefined applications in an application catalog. These we've already pre-configured with a lot of the SAML um, configuration information you need. And there, we have over 350 of these in the, uh, in the gallery right now. And you can just go through and select one of those and use them. Or if you have a SSO application that uses SAML today that you like, then you can go ahead and configure that on your own. Uh, there's a, you can just do that using the wizard. So that allows you to create both access to the AWS console as well as to applications. Now you notice in that picture, it didn't matter where the users came from. They're just users that show up in SSO. Now if I go and take a look and see what happened in, in this configuration, um, I can see that in the settings tab, 
we have a new view for AWS SSO. How many people are using SSO today? Okay, a few of you. So you'll notice that I went to the settings. It looks a little different than it used to. What we have now is an identity source, what the authentication is for that identity source, and how we're provisioning it. Now, if I want to change that, I can change it. I, if I wanted to have users in SSO, I could do that. I can, so that means I'm going to manage my users and my groups. I'll create them there and manage them. Or if I wanted to connect them in through Active Directory, which you've seen before, uh, those of you who have it probably have seen this before, I don't have to use an external IDP. If I have, if I have Active Directory that I'm using in my on-premises environment today, I can connect SSO directly up to it using either AD Connector or AWS Directory Service for Microsoft Active Directory, which is our managed AD product. If you're using managed AD, you use trust, and I'm going to show topologies of those configurations a little bit later today. But it just suffices to say that if I connect it up, then that means that my users will sign in using their Active Directory credentials, and they'll get the same experience that we just saw when I signed in with Azure AD. Now, in, in uh, my example here that I'm showing today, I had selected an external identity provider. Now, if you're just setting up SSO for the first time and you select this, then in the lower section you're going to see where you configure the SAML trusts. If you are switching from an SSO identity store to using the external identity provider, then you'll also see the setup part here. Now, I want to talk briefly to those of you who have SSO today. If you are using Azure AD and you're using SSO today, and your SSO users you've created, if those usernames match to the same username that's in Azure AD, when you convert over to using Azure AD, all those users remain and all the, the assignments they have remain. If they don't, unfortunately, there wasn't a way for us to change the usernames without breaking some other things so that you'll have to uh, do uh, recreation of the assignments there. All right, so in my configuration, I had it set up with SAML. And if I want to take a look at the configuration, I can look at the authentication. I can see it's SAML 2.0 uh, as my authentication. And if I look at the uh, information, I can see in the top, that's my metadata from AWS SSO. In the lower section is the um, metadata that came in from my identity provider, in this case, Azure AD. And so I, I, uh, when I did my setup, I had downloaded the metadata file. I went over to Azure AD, I uploaded the metadata file, I downloaded the metadata file from Azure AD, went over into SSO and uploaded it there. And that brought in the certificate and the metadata and the two systems now have trust, so now I can start authentication. But at that point, I can only authenticate. I can't, I can't do anything with users because I don't know who the users are in Azure AD. So my choices are, after I've set up SAML, is I can either choose to manually provision the users into SSO, in which case I need to create the user and make sure the username matches what is over in Azure AD, and then I can create my groups and manage my groups. Or the alternative is to use automatic provisioning with SKIM. And SKIM is the uh, uh, system for cross-domain identity management, and that's how I set this particular configuration up. Uh, so I go into SSO, into settings, and went into the uh, 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 provisioning section, and you can see I have a skim endpoint. And so I copy that skim endpoint and I give that to Azure so that Azure knows how to talk to me. And then I, get, I generated a bearer token and I copied that bearer token and I went over to Azure AD and I gave the bearer token to Azure AD. That gave Azure AD permissions to now start pushing users and groups into AWS SSO. 
At that point, about every 40 minutes, Azure AD sends over changes that they have on their side, and those things start showing up in my users and my groups. Now, why would I choose to manually provision, or why would I choose to do automated provisioning? And that's a question based upon how do you manage your own uh, controls around who gets access to which groups. I've I talked to some people today that have great processes around Azure AD. They've got approval processes to get into certain groups, and they want to do everything on the Azure AD side. They want to be able to say, when a new user gets access to this team, I just drop them in this group, and magically they get access to things in SSO. I have other people that have said, you know what, we don't trust our Azure AD team much. We don't have very good uh, processes between us, and I don't want the administrator of Azure AD to give himself admin permissions in AWS. So in that case, I probably want to manually provision over in SSO instead so that the, on the cloud side you have control over who gets in. Now, if you manually provision, that can be kind of a pain if you have a large organization. So one of the things you can do, uh, it's a kind of a hybrid, and it's not, it's not perfect, and you know, I, I, I think there's opportunity for improvements here. But what you could do is set up Skim, create one group in Azure AD that says my AWS, uh, my AWS users and synchronize all those things into, into AWS SSO and do that like once a week or whatever interval you want. And then shut Skim off and then go in and add the users to groups that you've created in SSO. Now when you turn Skim on and off, it doesn't change the users that are in SSO. They're still there. It doesn't change the group structures unless a sync comes along and changes the group structure. So if you can at least get your security teams and everybody to agree that the only way that, that, that people get into AWS is through that one Azure AD group, then this is all manageable. You can create your own groups uh, that are uniquely named inside of SSO. When you turn on Skim, it's just gonna bring users across that were in that one group in Azure AD, and then you can control who gets in. All right, so that's the uh, AWS SSO side of the world. So let's take a look and go into the Azure AD side. And um, I'm, right now what I'm doing is I'm looking at my Azure AD tenant. And I can see in here that I have um, users. And the users we saw, Aaron Banks, Carol Major, Dan Jen, Dan, uh, Dana Jenkins, Devin Nichols, Pat Davis, Jan Perkins, Sammy Thompson. Those are all the users that we saw on the other side. Um, if I take a look and go back at, uh, uh, take a look at the groups, you can see the administrators, billing, database admins, developers, power users, and sysadmins. Those were the, the groups that I granted access to this application. Now, I'm going to go a little bit further out. I'm going to go back to my default directory here, and I'm going to go to the enterprise applications area. So that, what I just showed you was just my users and my groups configuration that's in Azure AD that's shared across all of my enterprise applications. Now you can see that I've created this AWS single sign-on um, application. It's an enterprise application. You create it up using the non-gallery app path. We wanted to try and do the gallery app path. We weren't able to get that, we, uh, we weren't able to have that happen and so we uh, do a non-gallery app configuration which is just the normal SAML metadata exchange. Um, I assigned users, and these are the users I gave it. I only gave it the groups. I didn't give it any users. And so when Azure AD, Azure AD says, anybody in these groups 
can use that application, it starts synchronizing those groups and only those users that are in those groups over to the SSO side. So I can have a subset of my organization delegated for uh, working inside of AWS. I don't have to bring everybody over. Now, um, let's see. So then the, the rest of it is about the uh, single sign-on setup. So I go into single sign-on. This is where you can see that I have my metadata for my basic SAML configuration. Uh, this is where I would have downloaded the uh, Federation metadata XML file that I imported on the SSO side. And then for provisioning, I had configured for um, automatic provisioning, and that's where I put my skim endpoint and my uh, bearer token. So that's how the Azure AD setup worked. Okay. I think that concludes the, the demo here. Um, I want to just talk briefly a little bit about some of the things that we can do with this now. Uh, one is that you can manage access to accounts and roles. That was the primary purpose of SSO when we created it. But you can also now increase developer productivity by using the CLI v2 interface. So how many people heard about CLI v2 back about November 7th? Okay, one of the big pieces that came along with that was the uh, integration of the CLI v2 with SSO. So now from within the command line, when you first go into the command line, you can do an AWS2 um, SSO configure. And what it does is it connects to SSO. You, you give the command line your URL endpoint for the user portal and tell it what region you're using. And then what it will do is it initiates a sign-in through a web browser using a device registration process. So the way that works, I, unfortunately I wasn't able to get it set up here and, and, and working for you today to show you, but essentially what you do is you go in and say AWS uh, SSO configure uh, my endpoint, um, which region I'm in, and it connects and then it, it shows on the command line a little device code and then it pops open a browser, it pre-plums the device code into that device registration page, that redirects me off to Azure AD, I sign in with my credentials, it pops back, it gives me a confirmation page saying, do you wanna allow access to the CLI using this account? I say yes, it closes the window out, now I'm sitting in the CLI and I'm all signed in. Now if I didn't have a browser, what it would do is, You'd see the device registration code. I'd go over to my phone. I'd go to the URL it told me to. I'd type in the device registration code. It would redirect me to Azure AD. I'd sign in on my phone. I'd click the confirmation page. And now all of a sudden on the screen, it would say, you're signed in. Once I'm signed in, then I can list my accounts, my roles. It will do the profile setups for you in your config file automatically. Now you can start executing and using profiles and it automatically generates all the short-term credentials you need. So a, user, a, a, a developer can now literally initiate sign-in from the command line and stay in the command line and never be disrupted with short-term creds and stay in there working for the duration of their sessions. So it's really, really cool. I encourage you to take, take a look at that. You know, if, you, if you set this up just to play with that and look at that, it's really, really awesome. Um, another thing that you can do is that you can use AWS SSO to manage access and sign in to SSO integrated applications. And what do I mean, what do I mean by integrated applications? We've made SSO a platform for other AWS services to start using for sign in so that you can have a consistent sign-in experience and a consistent set of users and groups across all of AWS. 
And the first two examples of that are AWS IoT SiteWise Monitor and AWS SageMaker Studio Looseleaf. Both of these are in preview right now, but essentially what you do is once you configure them, they hook into SSO. Uh, they show up sort of, the experience is sort of like a gal, uh, an app, like an, a SaaS app, in the sense that I assign access to this user, and when I go into the portal, I can get into their application. And once I'm in the application, I can actually browse and see the users that are inside of SSO, whether those users were created in SSO, or whether they were brought in from Active Directory, or whether they were brought in from Azure AD. And so now I can do in-application access assignments. So as an example, in the, in the IoT case in Monitor, they get a lot of data from IoT devices. They're doing a bunch of work on that data, and you can create dashboards. So I sign into Monitor, and that gets me access to a dashboard, and then I can start sharing that dashboard with other users that I found inside of SSO. And so those are some experiences that you're going to start seeing more of. In addition to that, I can, I can continue to use cloud-based business applications. So even if I've done this Azure AD work, if I wanted to use the SSO user portal as my primary portal for my end users, I can go and do SAML federation out to something like Box or Jira or something like that. And when the user signs into the SSO portal, they're going to see their accounts in one tile, and they'll see Jira and Salesforce or whatever else in their other tiles, and they'll be able to navigate, and their sign-in experience goes back to Azure AD. Now, in addition to Azure AD, I want to make, I've talked a lot about Azure AD. Uh, when we did this work, uh, we needed to do two things. We needed to get SAML configuration working, and we needed to get skim provisioning working. And the SAML part of this is standard. And we've done some preliminary testing with Okta and Ping and OneLogin and others. And that seems to be working just fine. It should because it's SAML 2.0. We've got you know, more extensive testing we want to do, but that, that's, uh, uh, but that looks like it's all good. The skim part of it is, varies by vendor because each vendor does skim provisioning a little bit differently. And so we started out and we got the Azure AD piece done and we launched so we could be here to, to share this today. We are actively working with our AWS partner network members, uh, OneLogin, Okta, and Ping, and we're gonna enable for them as, uh, as soon as we can. So you'll see that for, for those identity providers as well. If you're using something like Shibboleth, uh, the, uh, the SAML part of that you should be able to even work with today. The key point of all this is that AWS SSO gives you one AWS access control model to use, and you get to choose what your identity source is. And we think that that's the right model for, for helping people take advantage of the web the way that it, it should be intended. Let's take a look at how the uh, applications integrate into SSO. So in this case, uh, you might have uh, SageMaker uh, Loose Leaf here in this case, and it's connected into SSO. Um, inside of SSO, there is a user and group metadata file that we have inside of it uh, where the user's information is stored. And from the application, if I'm in the application, I can browse and it can see inside that, that metadata. Now, there are different ways that you can connect into that, and the experience of how all this fits together with those applications will vary depending upon which identity source you use. And as I mentioned earlier, the sources that you can use are SSO, Active Directory Domain Service, or Azure AD. I'm not going to go through the SSO uh, experience because it's pretty straightforward. You create the users in that screen, the groups in that screen, and everything's good. 
With Active Directory Domain Services, um, the, the topology is relevant and the experience is going to vary based on the topology you use. So one topology you can use is that you can take AWS Managed Microsoft AD as a user force. So now I'm putting the users inside of Managed AD and that Managed AD exists in my AWS organization's master account and I've set up SSO and I connect directly to it and now I can use those users to set up policies. Another topology is if I have an existing on-premises Active Directory and I want to use it with, um, uh, I want to use SSO with those users, I could use Managed AD, put it in the master account, and create a trust to my on-premises Active Directory. And in that case, with a two-way trust, the SSO can read the directory to provision the users in the groups and give them access to the permission sets in SSO. The next one is that I could use AD Connector. And in this case, I put AD Connector in my master account with SSO, and I, give, uh, I connect AD Connector either to a single domain in my on-premises Active Directory or to the, uh, the domain that is in Managed AD. You, you have to choose just one domain. It will work with Managed AD or an on-premises Active Directory running on Windows. So that's an, another configuration that works. And in this case, um, the, the key points are that SSO requires that it be in the org master account and that AD connector or managed AD have to be in the org master account along with it. Um, the Active Directory users can be in any account and it just depends on how you configure it, whether you're pointing outside of the master account to your on-premises domain or to managed AD. All right. So let's take a look at some variations on these topologies uh, to help you sort out what the best approach is for your organization. You know, as I uh, mentioned earlier, you've got managed AD, or you can do the uh, connection uh, from there, that works. You can do a connection uh, to managed AD with uh, AD connector out to managed AD, that works. Uh, you can do managed AD in the master account, that works. Um, this particular case, you've got AD connector in the master account connecting to managed AD that is outside of the master account and my users are in Active Directory on-premises and there's a trust between managed AD and AD connector and if you try to do that you would get two sad pandas and a sad face because that doesn't work. <laughs> AD connector only connects to a single domain and whatever domain it connects to is where the users have to be so if you tried to do this you would only see users in managed AD. So if you want to try and do that there are some other topologies you'd use you go back to managed AD in the master account with a trust, or you can do AD connector in the master account going back to your on-premises Active Directory, and then have managed AD in a different account that has a trust to that. That way I could use, in the member account, I could use something like RDS SQL Server and use the trust for RDS SQL Server, and I can use SSO back to the domain on-premises. So those are configurations that, you know, different variations on the topologies that you could use. All right, so let's talk now about how that topology and how this all fit, uh, works with applications. So once I have these topologies in place, for Active Directory in this new release, we added a feature called just-in-time provisioning. So we currently don't have full synchronization from AD, but we do just-in-time provisioning from AD. So let's talk, take a look at what happens. If I have uh, SageMaker Loose Leaf connected into SSO, and I've got SSO connected to managed AD or AD connector, a user um, 
that I want to provision into SSO, I can see them because SSO knows how to go back into AD Connector or Managed AD and see all the users that are in your Active Directory. Um, the applications don't have that power, only the SSO site has that, that ability to see in your directory. Later, what happens is a user signs into SSO after I've granted them access to uh, SageMaker. When the user signs in, SSO does just-in-time provisioning of the user information into the user and group metadata store that it has. And we do that every time the user signs in to make sure that we've got the most current attributes about the user. And then once that user is there, if I go into the application, then the application can look into that user and group meta, uh, metadata store and they can see the users to do in-application in assignments. And so when, if you're an administrator, it's going to look a little bit odd right now because I can go into SSO and when I provision a user and say, I want to uh, give this user or this group access to these permission sets, I can see all the users. But when I go into the application, I only see the users who have actually signed in at least one time. And so if you're going to use this with Active Directory and you want to prime the pump, what you might want to do is just send out a broadcast mail saying, hey, everybody, just go sign in one time for me. And then the users will show up and you can see them in the applications. Now, if we look at it from a, a different perspective, we're going to talk about what we looked at a little while ago, which is Active Directory with Azure AD with Skim. Now we have Skim and SAML connections between Azure AD and SSO. The users are synchronized into the user uh, group and metadata store, and the users are immediately available to the applications. So we use uh, just the normal SAML configuration. We set up the Skim endpoints. And again, the Skim is optional, but we recommend it if you're operating at high scale. Now one thing that's important, you need to make sure that every user has an email attribute. Now, when you're using Azure AD, the username is a UPN, and it may or may not be your email name. And um, you need to make sure you have an email attribute because some of the use cases, like the uh, command line interface, it, it needs an email address for the user. And if you're going to do any federation to an external uh, service provider, uh, maybe you want to go to Slack as an example. Slack requires you to have an email address because you invite users and it sends them emails. And so you need to make sure there's an email. Now, if you go home and you want to try this and you want to create a test Azure uh, AD account to work with, you don't get to configure the mail address. So what in the heck do you do? Because you, you want to make sure there's an email address. Well, what you can do is you can do custom assignments in there, and there's a way of doing a, a scripting on it. And what I did the other day is I created a, a script that I mapped to the email user. So you've got the, the Azure AD side of the attributes and the SSO side of the attributes. On the SSO attribute for email, I made it a script that took my UPN, stripped off everything from the at sign on, and I appended it with an email address, and then that gave the users access. And then I just, I mapped that that way. So that's something you can do within the Azure AD side. All right, now I wanna talk a minute about uh, some other differences between these different options for identity source. Uh, these are useful to know about. So if you wanna create users and groups, if you do it and you're using SSO as your identity source, you can do that. If you use managed AD or AD connector, you can't because you're using Active Directory as your source of truth for your users. 
If you are using an identity provider and you only set up SAML, then you create the users and the groups inside of SSO, but you don't manage their credentials there because they're going to be signing in at your IDP. You're just creating a provisioned user so you have awareness of them so that you can assign them access to things. And if you're using SAML 2.0 with skim, then you can't do any management of the user attributes in SSO because you're using your, your identity provider as your source of truth for everything. On delete user and group, you'll see that you can delete users in SSO. You can't do that in, in managed AD or AD connector. Um, you can delete them if you're doing SAML 2.0 with manual provisioning. And uh, let's see. I have an error on this slide in, the, in that row on the last column. There is, a, there is a, 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 not a delete, but there is a remove operation you can do in that row from the AWS managed AD over to the right that there, you can do what's called a remove. It doesn't actually delete the user. It removes it from the metadata store that we have so it's no longer visible to the applications and it's no longer visible for assigning permissions. You might want to do that if you had some user who you know, went rogue and you, you need to get them out of the system quickly and you're using Azure AD with Skim, you can just go into SSO really quickly and do a remove on that site if you wanted to rather than waiting for 40 minutes for them to, sh to disappear for the uh, Skim process. Uh, resetting user passwords, you do that where the users are mastered. Um, uh, if you're going to configure MFA, uh, when you use Active Directory or SSO is an identity source, then AWS manages the MFA and you can do virtual MFA. If you're doing it with an identity provider, it's whatever you can do with your identity provider. So if you've set up Azure MFA on an Azure AD tenant and you're using uh, SAML 2.0 with manual provisioning or with SKIM, then you get MFA from Azure AD. Um, if you want to switch to AD from any other uh, provider, it deletes all the users in the groups because it, it it can't map anything, so it, it just deletes them all. Um, if you switch to an IDP from SSO, if those users that are in SSO today match the username in, Azure, in your identity provider, they get preserved. Um, if you switched to an IDP from Active Directory, all the users that you had previously defined in the permissions, they all go away. And if you... Um, do some switching between skim and non-skim, uh, the users always stay there. The, the users in the groups and the assignments all stay there when you switch back and forth between skim and non-skim IDP. And then if you're switching to SSO from uh, the other, other uh, use cases, then in AD it deletes the users and groups, but if you came from an IDP, they stay there. So imagine that you were using an IDP and you decided, I really don't want to use this IDP anymore, but I wanted to switch over and use SSO. What you could do is you could set up skim, sync them in, uh, turn it off, and the users and groups stay there, and now you manage an SSO. Um, let's see. And then session durations. Uh, session durations are based upon the permission set, and they last for the duration of the permission set. But if I've signed into an external IDP, they may have a separate asynchronous session duration. So if my session duration in Azure AD is like eight hours, and I had a permission set with a duration of one hour, 
I would be able to go in and assume that role and use it for an hour, and then when I need to re-authenticate, I won't actually see a pop-up pop sign-in screen. It will just go over to Azure AD. They'll say, yep, he's still good, and, and then it comes back. Um, so there's some asynchronousness between those, permission, between those sessions. All right, so let's talk about best practices, and then we'll open up uh, the, the microphones for some questions. Um, use group assignments. They're way easier to do. If you manage things in groups, then it's really easy to just add users to groups and remove them from groups and control access, and you don't have to worry about going in and remembering which users got which permissions. Um, if you want the most consistency between your external identity provider and what you're doing in SSO, then use Skim. It, it helps uh, keep your security in sync because if you remove somebody within 40 minutes, you're going to see the update in SSO and they'll lose access. And it's certainly a heck of a lot more convenient than manual, uh, manual management. Uh, make sure that all your users have an email address when you put them into SSO. Uh, that's a real important piece to have. Uh, make sure that uh, you use, yeah, if you're going to go home and kick the tires with this thing and you think you might start using it in production, then think ahead and say, oh, I know who the usernames are in Azure AD. Let's make sure that I set up the SSO usernames to match them so that when I switch to the external IDP that I get to retain all the things that I already had. And then if you are uh, wanting MFA, then configure MFA. We recommend that for AD domain service, if you're using AD domain services as a way to uh, connect or you're using SSO, uh, there's no charge for doing that. You, you can use any like Authy or Google Authenticator or Microsoft Authenticator. It's really easy. The users can self uh, uh, set them, they can set themselves up so you get a little uh, device code, you know, the QR code they can take a picture of and then they're all synced up. So use the uh, virtual MFA when you're using um, SSO with SSO users or AD users. And then the last slide here is uh, we've got these training and certification programs. If you've not, I, you probably have seen these in other sessions. I know we're getting up to the tail end of the, of the event, but uh, you want to make sure you take a look at the awsamazon.com training paths-specialty and uh, go get more information about security at AWS. So, uh, I want to thank you for uh, being here today. I really appreciate it. Uh, make sure that you complete the session surveys. We really want to get that information. I'd love to hear your feedback on the presentation, what I might do better. At this point, what we'll do is we'll open up the floor for uh, questions. Now, I, I'm going to ask you to come to the microphones that are in the aisles. That way, we can catch them on the, on the recording so that people who see this after the event can hear the questions as well. Yeah. Good afternoon. So this is for testing and initial configuration purposes. If we were to start using uh, AWS SSO configuring with Azure AD, will it, will it remove existing uh, signing methods to the account? Um, if you wanted to do testing with Azure Active Directory now, and you have an existing SSO configuration? No, regular uh, user ID and account ID. Oh, okay, right now you have, yeah. So the, anything you're doing with IAM users or with existing IAM federation are unaffected by the use of SSO. SSO is a completely separate path to come into AWS. And so those will all stay in place while you're doing your so testing. So they can coexist. Yeah. Okay. yeah, and your users could go either path. You just, they, they just need to know which endpoint to go to. Awesome, thank you. Yeah, how about one over here? Yeah. Uh, are there any plans to bring this functionality to GovCloud as well? 
Um, we will be in GovCloud eventually. We, we, uh, right now, I think we're in nine regions. We're, um, our, our goal is to get to the rest of the regions this year. I don't have specific dates on GovCloud right now. Hi. So we just finished setting up um, IDP-initiated uh, logon from Azure AD to AWS. So can we still use that the existing uh, enterprise application that we created to do um, the uh, SP-initiated logon? Um, yeah. It, the, the IAM federation that you did now, you have an enterprise app for each of those uh, accounts, right. those would be, those would only go to the IAM Federation endpoints. So what you would do is you would set up a new enterprise application in the Azure AD side that points to SSO. Okay. And, and so they would, if they want to go to the SSO experience, then they would go through that path. Otherwise, they click on one of the other tiles. So we can keep them both. We yeah, you can keep them both. Okay. Yes. All right. Thank you. Yeah. Over here. Uh, two, two real quick questions. Can you do multiple IDPs? I didn't see that as a, as a topology. Um, we don't currently support multiple IDPs. Okay. Um, we've heard some requests for that, and that's uh, we put yeah. that in our backlog okay. for consideration. And second, just can you br touch briefly on how Cognito plays in this space? Okay, great. Good. Thank you. Yeah, uh, Cognito, when we look at identity, we see identity as um, workforce identity and customer identity. Uh, workforce identity is about the employees and the identities that I manage within my company, and I want to have a way of controlling, tightly controlling the grouping of those users and assigning access to my corporate resources, and I want those users to be shared across many different applications. In the case of customer identity, I'm building an application that's going to be customer-facing, and those identities can be coming in from whatever my customer is. So it might be they're coming in from Facebook or they're coming in from Google or I might have some B2B relationship. I might be doing some federation in with them. But the users are coming in and they're being contained within the context of the application I deliver. So it's only one application that's sharing a set and controlling a set of users. Or in the other case, I've got a set of users that are being used by many applications. And so SSO is really about uh, workforce identity. And Cognito is an identity platform for using when you want to create a customer-facing application. Now, a lot of people have used Cognito in the past to do federation into AWS because it has some features that, that, that help facilitate that and it helped to solve a hole that we had with SSO because we couldn't bring in external identities. Now that we have those external identities, we really encourage you to look at Cognito as being your customer-facing um, platform for building applications, and AWS SSO being the place where you manage access control for workforce identities. Thank you very much for that question. That was a great question. Yeah, over here. Is there any support or roadmap for automating uh, permission sets modifications or doing it through the CLI? Yeah, the, um, the automation, the, the APIs for entitlements are not available right now. That is a top priority item for us right now, and, and so you'll see something on that soon. Thanks. Yeah. Over here. Um, so you're saying uh, to use Cognito for external um, users, but uh, if you're using that now today for things like uh, uh, Kibana or QuickSight, how do we switch that over to SSO? Um, yeah, so, so you're using Cognito today, and uh, you're, you're using it for these purposes. What, what should you do? Um, so what I would do is you, know, you can continue to use that path, that path works, um, and, and you, you can continue to use that path, but you may want to start looking at a migration path 
from Cognito into SSO. And you can do that transition over time. There's going to be differences because you're going to have to create um, the permission sets in SSO, and, and you're going to have to be able to map those users. So there's kind of a remapping you know, migration path to get there. But you can keep your Cognito in place as you make the transition. OK, thank you. OK, yeah, over here. Um, with uh, multi-account management, uh, we sort of have like you add a user to a group, and they get permissions and accounts. Uh, but if we're expecting to spin up accounts for a new dev that comes in, and we want to automatically apply a permission set to it, is that something that's kind of on the roadmap? Or maybe when the CLI is out, you just write a script that does yeah, it? Yeah, that's actually, that, that's actually um, part of the entitlement API stuff that we're doing. So right now, if, you're, if you create a brand new account and you need to get the permissions in there, uh, right now with SSO, you'd have to go into SSO, uh, open that account, and grant the users in groups, or the, the groups, access to the permissions in that account. But, there, but we will have entitlement APIs to make that uh, easier to do when you spin up new accounts. Cool. Thank you. Yeah. So the question is probably very closely related. Uh, so in the SAML assertion, you also gave the uh, AD groups uh, attributes passed on together. Is there a way we can map these uh, AD group attributes to the IM roles uh, by configuration? Um, yeah, currently there's not a way of using the assertion metadata to uh, map that into IAM. Uh, many of you may have heard about the session tags that, that came out uh, that allow you to implement ABAC. And right now we don't have, have that in the product. Um, what, what you'll kind of notice about us is that we, get, we try to get a lot of things going, and we've got a lot of you know, things moving in parallel. So we came out with session tags. We, came out, we come out with other things. We're coming out with SSO, connecting to an external identity provider. And in time, what you start seeing is the connections between them. Um, I think that's a connection you'll, you'll see. So, but right, right now, there's not a way of using the metadata. We don't pass through the, the SAML metadata through that sign-in flow. So right now, the authentication is the only point and the entitlement part, authorization part, needs to be done separately. Yes, yeah, authorization okay. is entirely in SSO right now. Yeah, thank you. I have a different question is, uh, uh, besides the uh, AD, do you also support AirDAP as the, the IDP? Um, yeah, we, AD is the only one that we have that, that's really like an LDAP provider, although if you had like Shibboleth, and you are using Shibboleth LDAP, then that should work with SAML authentication. So, so that would be the, the path of using that with something like, you know, uh, uh, 389 or whatever. Okay. Thank you. Okay. Yeah, over here. Yeah, two questions. Um, first one, is there a way to scope um, the users and groups from the, the import? Like, How, uh, way to scope users and groups for the import? Yeah, for... Uh, Okay, so how, wh which users and groups come from Azure AD in? Correct. Yeah, Correct. so I'm, I'll, I'll pop open my screen real quick and I'll show you where that is. Okay, so inside of um, my default directory, I have enterprise applications and for my AWS SSO application, on this left side, it says users and groups. These users and groups are not my total users and groups. They're only the users and groups that I've told Azure I want to have access into SSO. 
And so in this particular case, I scoped it by saying, I only want to allow people that are members of administrators, billing, database admins, developers, and power users. I didn't put a single user there, I just put the groups. So now I can go all the way back out to my default directory, and I can go into my groups, and I can add users to those groups, and they'll automatically start pouring into SSO based upon their group membership. So that's the way you scope who comes in and who doesn't come in. Okay, great. And All right. second question, is there a way to manually trigger um, skim if, uh, if you don't want to wait 40 minutes to... Um, I wish there was. I, I, I <laughs> that's something that's on the Azure AD side. Um, I, there were some ways that I found by... Um, th and I broke my system. <laughs> um, I'll show you that real quick. If you go into default directory, you go into your enterprise application. For each enterprise application, you do uh, the SAML and SKIM configuration independently for each app in Azure AD. So when I was in here and I went to provisioning, and you scroll down here, you can get the current stat status on your uh, SKIM. And you'll notice that um, I've been quarantined due to a high number of errors. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I'm quarantined for 24 hours. So what, what I was doing is there was a way to hit this clear current state, and, and that says forget everything you've done about provisioning. Don't send incremental updates anymore. Send the full thing. And um, I was in a rush trying to make things happen, and I did that too many times, and, and, I, and I paused it and restarted it, and I caused enough errors that it, it, it terminated me. So I don't, I don't know that that's something you might want to ask Microsoft about is how can they get a convenient way of manually triggering a full sync when you want to. Okay, thanks. Yeah. So, quick question. Uh, for Let's say I wanted to import all the users that are in Office 365 and just use the whatever, you know, lightweight 80 that comes with Office 365 and not use anything else. Is that, would that work? Uh, yeah, if you're using Office 365 today, or you're using uh, Azure AD as your identities then, right? So if you took the groups, if you want to bring everybody that had... Not using Azure AD, just Office 365. I mean, it's like a startup, all we have is all users and... Yeah, yeah, under the covers, that's what you're actually using is Azure AD. Um, Office 365 requires an Azure AD tenant. And then you can configure it to either do authentication with an external IDP or you can do management of users in it. What they've done is they've created an experience that's, that, that kind of hides that you're really using Azure AD, but you're really using Azure AD. So what you would do is if, if you have a grouping structure that gave permissions for your Office 365 users and all those users are in that group, you'd just say, I want my, all my Office 365 users to have access in through SSO. And you could do that. Okay. So so that would, that would work, just import all the users from Office 365 and they'll come into... Yeah, yeah, you'd go into, you'd go into your Azure AD tenant, you'd configure enterprise application, um, that, then you do your SAML uh, uh, configuration, then do your skim provisioning, and then go into the users and groups for that enterprise application and add all your Office 365 users in to that application and now they'll show up in SSO. Yeah. But would be the, so so we'd have to use the 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 AD uh, Azure AD uh, SAML connection to it. Yes. Yeah. You have to. Yeah. That's the only way to do this is through the Azure AD SAML connection. Yeah. Cool. Thank you. You bet. Over here. 
my question is about uh, session duration. Um, mm -hmm. If I'm not mistaken, the maximum amount that you can set is like a 12 hours for the API access. Is there a way that we can override it for indefinitely? Uh, now, you, you're talking about API access? Correct. Um, okay, so the, the session management that we do in SSO is the role assumed time. And that can be set from 1 to 12 hours. And so once you've assumed the role, then that user has access into that session for that duration. The API session durations, I believe, are independent. But I'm not a super expert on that one. Um, so Just you, like an example, like a uh, CLI access that you give to that user, mm -hmm. it's valid up to 12 hours. Is there a way that I can uh, override it indefinitely to say, okay, well, as long as that job is running, uh, it can stay there? Um, why don't we talk offline? I want to make sure I understand that a little bit more. We're, we've, uh, we're out of time. We've got to clear the room for the next uh, group. I'll be happy to take uh, questions out in the hall. Sure. Okay? All right. Thank you.